0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God and uh, I've got a lot of topics that I've been working on. We've been—I uh, was going to do a shows on Colossians and discovered we already have that. <laughs> so you can actually go to our uh, preparing you and and go to the Bible section and uh, go to Colossians, and you'll already see uh, audios there available for Colossians. So I decided to do Galatians, and so Galatians is not a very big uh, epistle, uh, but. Uh, I've only gotten several chapters into that for uh, notes to try to bring it back to life to our present times. Why Galatians is important to the modern thinking of Christianity. And I got sidetracked a little bit because I came across somebody who's talking about the contradictions of Paul. Where Paul is supposedly contradicting Christ. And they, they put out about 25 of these different contradictions. And I... I glanced down through them real quick, and so I've started adding to a page on uh on paul and uh, because that's really important because Paul is a major part of the the uh, New Testament that did Paul really contradict Christ? well, not really. <laughs> the problem is is that uh, people are either misinterpreting Paul. Or, you know, taking Paul out of the context of the times. Taking Paul out of the context of his position with the church. Taking uh, Paul out of the context of law and history. Or, they don't understand Christ. Or, both. Or, maybe uh, there's a third item in there. They don't understand the Bible at all. And, uh, so, we're going to sidetrack from that, even. Because I haven't finished that. Process of going through all twenty-five of them, but I've I've gone through uh, you know maybe thirty percent of them, and uh, it's just amazing how people have misinterpreted Paul so completely. But it should not be surprising because Peter referred to Paul as uh, his beloved brother. Paul was going, and he tells you, he warns you that he's going to talk to you about things that are difficult to understand. And of course, with the modern level of understanding. Of Christians, of the Bible context, of of the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and the message of Christ. It is no wonder that when Paul talks about things that are difficult to understand, that they're going to get it all wrong. And that's, of course, what's happening all the time. So we could study that really close, and maybe we'd all figure it out. But really, we're going to go back another step before that. And look at something that I call spiritual mechanics, and uh the reality is you know when you look at i was just talking about one of my sons who's you know mechanically uh, you know uh gifted, he just has a way of looking at machinery and knowing what's going on and and it all has to fit together in his mind and uh and he's uh that's that's just something he was born with. And there's a reason for that. And God will use that accordingly eventually. But uh, that is his talent. And so whenever he had the opportunity, we encouraged him to move in the direction where he could use that talent. And uh, that's really what the the, uh, the talent is. Also a uh, measure of money. And, and Jesus has his uh, proverbs about or his... Uh, His uh, parable about talents, where somebody gets one talent and two talents and three talents and what they do with them. Well, you get talents. You get gifts that God gives you. And you have to use them for God's purposes. And then He'll give you more gifts. And the problem is, what is God's purposes? And if we read the Bible, there's no guarantee that you're going to know what God's purpose is for you. Because God makes it very clear That he is going to reveal things to you on a spiritual basis. And how do you get to that point where you can receive the revelations of God. So that you know what to do with the talent God has given you. And that answer is found in spiritual mechanics. So that's why we're going to uh, go there first before we even do Galatians. Before we do the contradictions of Paul. We're going to look at, and that will give me a little bit more time this week <laughs> to get farther along in those uh, items. Uh, and uh, so, wh- where does that take us? Uh, if we go, um, there's a number of th- different things. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Go back to Genesis, uh, Genesis 1:28, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, "Be fruitful and multiply." and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the fowl of the air and over everything that moveth upon the earth. So that's really God's one of God's first commandments to man is to replenish the earth. Evidently, it needed a replenishing. It says, actually, the word there is pretty clear in the Hebrew, replenish the earth. As if somehow it was made void and it had to be replenished. Uh, It talks about subduing it. Well, we could talk about that word a lot. But it also talks about uh, dominion. And it says over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. But it doesn't say man over man. Uh, And what we've seen since then is a lot of men from Cain to Nimrod to Caesar to Pharaohs. Trying to have dominion over other men. And the way they usually work to get that dominion is they entice you with the opportunity of having dominion over your neighbor. Jesus says, love thy neighbor, but the governments of the world say, have dominion over your neighbor. Force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Force your neighbor to provide you with benefits. Force your neighbor to guarantee your security. And you do this by electing Nimrods of the world, Canes of the world, who will force people to line up and do what their obligation is to society. Religion is the fulfillment of that obligation to society, to your fellow man, by faith, hope, and charity. That's what the religion of God is. That's pure religion. The religion of the world is to fulfill your obligation to man or will beat you up or throw you in jail or (laughs) fine you or, you know, do something bad to you where you will regret it that you did not fulfill your duty to your fellow man and to your government. And government is always, that's why the Bible talks about government about 700 times and talks about religion five times, or at least the word religion appears five times. It talks about religion all the time. But religion, again, not religion like you think, or you're being taught today. Religion is not what you think about God. Religion is the performance, the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. That's what religion was defined just 200 years ago. That was the definition of religion. But that's all changed by changing the definition for the next generation which is not educated by their parents, but educated by strangers, kids don't know that. They don't know what the definition of religion is. They don't know what the definition of a republic is. They don't know what the definition of a democracy is. Because all those things have changed. We show how the definition of democracy, 1927, was an evil form of government. According to the government of the United States, in the military manual, it was a bad thing. Democracies are bad. <laughs> That's what it said in the manual. But by 1945, 1954, for sure, the manual had been changed and altered and democracy was now what we're fighting for and it was a good thing. Well, would they just change that. Somebody changed it. Somebody decided to do it. And you wouldn't know any different. You went to public school. Why would you know any different? Because all the books have been changed. I mean, it's like 1984. That was That's 20 years, 30 years ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you're now living in a strong delusion. You think you got religion because you got some church you go to. You think you got religion because you read the Bible, but you don't. And the only way you're going to have pure religion, true religion, is to understand spiritual mechanics. But I can't really teach you anything about spiritual mechanics The way you need to learn, I can talk about spiritual mechanics, but you have to actually do, you know. And that's the same way with real mechanics. My my son, he really learned to read by reading manuals, repair manuals, to fix cars and and tractors and and swathers and uh, what have you. But he really. He really now the schematics and the, the, the manuals they're incidental. He can read them plenty, plenty well. And uh, but he uh, he looks at the machinery. He sees how it goes together. He sees what fits, and he's developing more and more experience along those lines. and And uh, he'll probably end up designing machinery. I'm sure he already is uh, designing parts of it and saying, "Let's do this. It'll work better." because he's getting so much experience day in, day out, working 60, 70 hours a week fixing big machinery. But that, even that mechanical connections of, you know, gears and pulleys and bearings and shafts and, you know, what works and what doesn't work is by experience, by actually hands-on experience. Well, it's not much difference with spiritual mechanics. Except for it's spiritual hands-on. Do you have spiritual hands? Do you have a spiritual life? I'm not talking about an emotional life. I'm talking about a spiritual life. Where you actually begin to see things spiritually. You see, you know, like some people... You know, I've seen over the years where somebody comes in the room and they're they're full of wickedness. Evil walks in with them. Spirits of evil walks in with the individual. And they seduce everybody in the room. Everybody in the room uh, falls prey to their charm. But I know this person is bringing in evil with them. I can see it. They can't see it. Oh, but he seems like such a nice guy. They don't look at it with spiritual eyes. They look at it with physical eyes. And he can appear as an angel of light, uh, as a charming guy, as a wonderful guy. He knows how to do that and knows how to manipulate people. I was just astounded with one individual that every time I walked into a I had to show him and introduce him to a lot of different people because he was taking over a, a job. And uh, I saw how when he walked into one room, his persona changed. Because he was walking into a room of a certain kind of person. When he walked into the room with another person, his persona changed to match what that person is looking for. And he was just a chameleon. And he didn't have to think about it. He just knew before he even walked through the door. I mean, before he did anything, he just all of a sudden molded to this other personality. That because he had the, you know, he had spirit, he was in the spiritual realm, but it wasn't a realm you want to live in, it was an evil realm. But it was very powerful amongst people who had no spiritual life. And so people go to churches and they go to ministers and they listen to men at pulpits and they think, you know, they put on their spiritual face and their spiritual demeanor. And their spiritual outfit, you know, what they wear to church. And they think they're being spiritual. And they're not. They're still in the flesh. They're in a fleshy church, in a fleshy world. And they don't even see spiritual things. And that's why you get pastors and ministers and priests that are molesting children and robbing people and uh, committing adultery. And nobody knows it. He seemed like such a nice guy. They couldn't see the Spirit that was operating in them because they had no spiritual life. Very few people who go to church regularly, religiously, have a spiritual life. I mean, we all have some spiritual life. Don't get me wrong, but we have a delusion of spiritual life. And one of the things that encourages that delusion is you know music and, uh, and uh, churches with lots of uh, ceremonies and trappings and... Uh, Then they have their publications and they talk about God and all this stuff and just writing and writing and writing. And, you know, I mean, I've written books, so there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong in that. But it can be a tremendous distraction from that spiritual life. And that spiritual life is where you will learn spiritual mechanics. And how do you get to that spiritual life? Well, you have to let go. You have to leave Egypt, so to speak. Or at least leave the ways of Egypt. Before the Israelites left Egypt, they were leaving the ways of Egypt. They stopped depending upon the straw, the benefits of Pharaoh. And started gleaning in the field. In other words, depending on charity for their welfare. And this opened up to some who were willing to walk in those spiritual ways. It opened up a spiritual life to them. It began to open up an opportunity to see spiritual mechanics. You know, and, and like I've, I've given the story of my son when he was very small. I mean, a baby just barely able to sit up. I gave him something that had a little hinge door on it. And he was fascinated with the way that hinge door opened and closed. And I knew that was significant. He, he had this mind for the me- physical mechanics of things. And that was where his talent was. And in this world, in this realm, in this fleshly world and realm, that's where his talent was. Spiritual mechanics, that spiritual ability is somewhere else. How do you teach that? How do you develop that? How do you nurture that? Well, the world has a plan to get you away from that. They don't want you to develop a spiritual life. And one of the major tools they have to keep you from developing that spiritual life is churches. The churches of the world. It isn't that they're 501c3 or that they're corporations or what have you. It's that they're leading you away from an actual spiritual life and substituting an emotional life, self-righteous life for righteousness. And so I'm always trying to take you back to what some have called trite, this, this other view of things, this simplicity of the kingdom, of love thy neighbor as thyself in real ways in in a team effort in a kingdom way kingdom the kingdom way is a team way it's not it's individuals coming together we have to learn to walk alone together is what i always say that's not a trite saying that's that's giving you the keys to the kingdom you have to as individuals walk alone with god together with other individuals which is one of the reasons why God's you know, Jesus sent his ministers out two by two, you know together, because they had to learn to walk alone individually, depending on the leading of the spirit. but they had to learn to do it together. and of course even though they went out two, there was another two that went out this way and another two that went out this way, and so they were actually going out as a team. Covering all the, I mean, if you got somebody who's lost in the woods, you don't just all run out in the woods and start looking. You go as a team effort. You comb this area, you comb this area, you walk so many feet apart, you don't all walk down the same trail, you don't just go mishmash. You want to cover every piece of ground. And that's what you have to do uh, in spiritual mechanics. You have to approach everything in life from a spiritual point of view. And that's where the conflict comes between the flesh and the spirit. Because the flesh is going to try to draw you to look at everything in the flesh. And the spirit wants to draw you another way. But what draws you to the spiritual realm? And we've said this a million times. Sacrifice. Now, according to some, and I heard a minister actually saying this, uh, he was, you know, being facetious so that he could get into what he was going to talk about. And uh, what he was saying, God's original plan was to hang out in a garden with naked ve- vegetarians, according to the Bible. And of course, that's he's rethinking <laughs> that. But that's, you know, supposedly they, Adam and Eve didn't eat any meat. They were naked all the time. And God wanted to walk in the garden with these two naked vegetarians. And that was the whole plan. But that wasn't the plan. These are metaphors now there may have been an actual Adam and Eve. I don't know if they actually use those words. That's what we we come up with Adam and Eve in the Bible. But um, they were a part of a plan. Uh, They were naked which we've already expressed is without authority. Because all these words in the Hebrew and we'll get into this before we're done. We'll show you more samples and examples of how the Hebrew works. And they didn't eat meat. They didn't eat this flesh idea of taking the flesh of another living thing. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were totally vegetarians, although they may have been. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that they did not eat meat with blood in it. And they did not... They did not take the life of others so that they may live, like Cain, like Nimrod, like Pharaoh, like Caesar. They take the life of some and redistribute that life to others. It's called taxation. And their governments work on taxation and draws them into the mechanics of the world of flesh. But the spiritual realm works on charity, not force. It works on empowering you to make a choice. It gives you choice. Because it depends upon love. And without choice, there is no love. You're not puppets. You have choice. But where is that choice made? In the mechanics of your physical mind or in your spiritual mind? You see, what the world is going to constantly do is trying to draw you over into the tree of knowledge. A fleshy tree of thinking. But the tree of life is a spiritual tree of the Holy Spirit. And you have to have a spiritual life to eat of a spiritual tree. So, in Genesis 2.15, we see the Lord... God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. Another job. Not only was he to be fruitful and replenish and subdue, but he was to dress and keep the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Life. And so that's what we're talking about today, is how do you dress and keep the Garden of Life? Because that's a spiritual garden. That's a garden where you walk with God in a spiritual realm. It may, be, it may be in a place of physical trees and buildings and asphalt streets, but it's a spiritual place. It's the Garden of Eden. And that's everywhere that you walk in faith. Faith in what? Faith in the way of God. Faith in the spiritual mechanics of God, which is Revelation. You know, it says in uh, Genesis 9-1, farther down, that God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Because it was a big disaster and the earth needed replenishing. How many times was the earth needing replenishing? And will it need replenishing soon again? Will you be there? Will your children be there? Well, that's a good question. You should know the answer spiritually. (laughs) We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom in a moment. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Like I said, we've got a lot of things coming up. We've got a study starting on uh, May 9th of the Free Church Report. I will be eventually doing the shows on Galatians and on Paul and his conflicts. But all that takes time to put together. And we're not only going to put it together so that we can do a radio show on it. We're going to put it together so that you can actually deal with this Uh, and read the actual words in web page form so you can go there and study. And then, of course, I'm also working on another book, Uh, along with working on the network that is Kingdom. The Kingdom was always a network of people who came together following the ways of Christ, following the ways of God, which are the same ways. And... Unfortunately, most of the churches today are not preaching those ways. They're in the church business. And that's a small church, seed church business. Because it's really not in the business of Christ. Because these churches are not established by Christ. They take the name of the Lord in vain. They do all kinds of great things. But Jesus is going to say, get you from me, you workers of iniquity. Because they've actually moved you away from a spiritual life and substituted it as an emotional and self-righteous life in its place. But anyway, we're looking at a number of different things uh, that uh, we're going to be doing, and hopefully we'll find the time to get them all done with your support. That would be a little easier, but that's between you and God. What we're going to look at now is uh, a lot of things happen, you know... the. The church was operating in a particular way from the time of Christ to the time of Constantine. And Constantine added another shift in the church. And it actually shifted away from the ways of Christ and shifted to the ways of the world. And it did this because thousands and thousands of people Became baptized Christians without real repentance. Without spiritual repentance. And uh, we go through that in a lot of different articles. We're not going to go over all of that. But there was a shift where now you had lots of people claiming to be Christians that weren't really following the ways of Christ. And they started introducing all kinds of things into the world of small... See Christianity, not real Christians, including what you would call in 300 AD modern Christians, and real Christians who were doing something different. Now, one thing Constantine did was move the social welfare system of Rome over to a system of free will offerings, but he jump started it with billions of dollars, the equivalent of billions of dollars in aid. And that aid was provided by a government that exercised authority one over the other. So, real Christians would not eat of the altars of these new Christians because of the fact that they were full of things sacrificed to idols. I have added to the idol page. So, if you look that up, you'll find out more about what this whole sacrifice to idols is all about. I mean, there's so many layers of this, but you will not understand it all until you understand the basics. You want to start with the basics. You don't want to start with the complexities. And that's why I was going to take you. You know. It, it, the church goes all the way up. The real church existing. And this other church. Created by Constantine. Existing side by side. But. But. A thousand years after the fall of Jerusalem, in about 1066, in that general vicinity, I, although you see elements of it in 900 A.D. and even back in 800 A.D., but it really got rolling around 1066 with people like de Bullion and William the Conqueror and Martin and all these uh, stuff and, and these different guys who came along and became kings over the people. And they put they could put together these massive armies that would go from valley to valley, And absolutely destroy and devastate any Christian who did not fall and bow down to the supremacy of the Pope. They just wiped them off the face of the earth. They drove them out of their homes and put these other Christians in their homes. And the beast had raised its ugly head again. It was unchained in the world and had its way in the world. And many were persecuted who were genuine Christians. And they suffered. And amazingly, many of them suffered willingly and fearlessly. And it astounded people. But yet, it was meant to be that there would be this rise up. And now we are born up in the world that that, that unchained beast created. And I use that word world in the sense of constitutional orders and systems of government. Around 500 AD, there was another shift in thinking. Uh, not five hundred fifteen hundred a d five hundred years after this rise up of kings who ruled over men and were crowned by something saying that it was the church established by Christ. So this is all setting up for a spiritual battle, and in order for it to win, it must lead you away from the spiritual world, the spiritual mechanics. So that you don't even know what the spiritual mechanics is. So all kinds of theologians and philosophers came up. Some of them very smart men. Some of them very close to knowing the truth. Some of them knowing elements of the truth. But interjecting pieces of the lie. Because see that's you know. The best lies are full of truth. That's always the way it works. You feel you know like uh, evil talking to Adam and Eve, you know. Surely you will not die. You know, he's he's using words in several senses. He's talking about fleshly death, in, but spiritually they did die. But in the flesh, they didn't die. They actually continued to live. So, you know, he's he's leading you away from a spiritual life into a fleshly life. And that's what all these theologians, and most of your ministers are doing all the time. And keeping you from asking real spiritual questions in a spiritual realm inside yourself. But anyway, around, you know, in the 16th century, there was a guy who came up, uh, Louis uh, de Molina. And he came up with, you know, he was a Jesuit, and he came up with uh, certain... Ideas and philosophies and theological perceptions of things, and the, the, the people who followed his thinking were called uh, Molinists, and they believe that God has knowledge not only of the necessary truths uh, and contingent but of contingent truths, but also of what he they call counterfactuals. You know, God has this knowledge of counterfactuals is often referred to as his middle knowledge. Although, uh, technically, that that term is more than simply the knowledge of counterfactuals. Uh, and it gets really complex. Just to give you some kind of idea of uh, counterfactual statements, is put it in more simple t- terms. If Bob were in Tahiti, he would freely choose to go swimming instead of sunbathing. Uh, the Molinist claims that even if Bob never went to Tahiti, <laughs> God can still know whether Bob would go swimming or sunbathing. He knows what your choices are going to be. Now, that's not really predestination. He just knows Bob really well. <laughs> okay. Now, these guys are debating this. I mean, these were hot debates. I mean, the Pope had intervene because the Dominicans and the Molinists were... At each other's throat, calling each other uh, heretics, and so they had to. He had to actually forbid them (laughs) to call each other heretics anymore, and allowed their two opposing views to continue. And the problem is, is even Dominicans, Franciscans. I mean, I believe Assisi was really close to the Kingdom of God if not a part of the kingdom of God. And I never met him, and it's hard to tell from the reports because they're all filtered down to a group that does contrary to what he was teaching. Uh, Because he wasn't really a Catholic like we think of Catholics today. As a matter of fact, he seemed to wield all kinds of power that other people just didn't have, including the Pope. But Franciscans, I mean, he even... He even opposed the Franciscans before he died. And I personally believe that he was murdered by them. Or at least an element of them. Not all of them. Just an element of them. Because it had been already become corrupted. And that's one of the things that, you know, when you you, you try to walk according to a certain pattern or form. But you're not walking in the spirit. You will be subject to corruption evil will come in and seduce you away from righteousness. That's why it says, seek the kingdom of God in His righteousness. Not my righteousness. Not the Pope's righteousness. Not uh, Molina's righteousness. Or the Dominican's righteousness. Or even the righteousness of Francis of Assisi. But God's righteousness. So the only way to know what God's righteousness is for you is to spiritually have a true relationship with God, which is not about emotion, but anyway, Mullenism differs from Calvinism, which is another group of you know I, I want to say too many bad things about Calvinists because the you know uh, like somebody said uh, if you want a free education uh, criticize the Calvinist and he will give you a series of lectures <laughs> because they, they they really we will touch on the fundamental Error of Calvinism. And then, of course, Calvinism, which Calvinism are we talking about? There's about five distinct different group of groups of Calvinists. But anyway, all that is complexity and you can get lost in that. And we're trying to lead you to that spiritual tree of life. But anyway, uh, they differ from Calvinism by affirming that God grants salvation, but humanity has the choice to freely accept it or reject it. But they also go on to say that God knows that if a person were put in a particular situation, he or she would not reject it. See, now this is where Molinism starts getting into predestination. That differs from the general Calvinist predestination, which states that a person's salvation is already determined by God uh, in such a way that... uh, He or she cannot choose otherwise or resist God's grace. Now, both those ideas, in my opinion, are wrong. But that's my fleshly opinion. Now, why would I say that? Now, again, when we say why, we can move into an intellectual argument and get lost in that intellectual argument. I tell you, the answers will all be there if you were seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Everything else would be added on. You wouldn't need all this intellectualizing of these different philosophies. I'm only mentioning these things because they lead you away from the spiritual mechanics. They lead you into the tree of knowledge. Where you have this complex arguments and theologies and philosophies. All created by men. And people you know learn them and uh I was just talking to somebody you know I I've 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 always been amazed at what people can do in, in sports I like to play soccer uh I played baseball but I found it very boring uh I wasn't built for football I was pretty thin and wiry uh, I like track uh, I like running but uh You know, how do you talk about track? Everybody else was talking about all the games, the football games, the basketball games. was real big when I was going to one school. And, you know, I couldn't keep up with all the different players and all the different teams and all this stuff. Because I really wasn't that interested. So I got interested in hockey. And I would read all about hockey. But I was just trying to fit in by learning all this information. That's what people do with religion. They learn, you know, they read the Watchtower. They read, read, uh, you know, their catechism. They read, you know, Jerry Farwell uh, or whatever. And, or just read the Bible. And they get lost in a mental approach to understanding God and His ways. Which is all tree of knowledge stuff. Jesus said, it's not by flesh and blood, but by revelation. That is what He was blessing when He said... He was blessing Peter, this rock of knowing, this rock of faith, this divine inspiration, this revelation that comes to you from God. Now, why does it come to you from God? Well, ask God, and it varies. And it's it's not predestination in the sense that you know the Calvinists teach it, because if there is no choice, there is no love. That's really. Absolutely essential. God withdraws His own power to rule over you and predestine you and allows you to make the choice. But you make the choice. Now, the question is, where do you make the choice? Do you make it in your intellect? You see? Which is over there in the tree of knowledge. Or do you make it in your spirit? How do you make a choice in your spirit when you have no spiritual life? Or, or you have a substitute spiritual life getting between you and the real spiritual life, which is the emotional spiritual life. You know, emotionalism. And uh, arrogance. Vanity. All these things get in the way of a spiritual life. When, they, when Paul talks about being dead in Christ, he's talking about you being dead to this vanity Ego life where you put yourself first. Your ego is always putting you first. When you become a parent, you start putting your children first. When you start caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, you're you're not putting yourself first. You're not living from vanity. When you sacrifice no greater love out of the man than he laid down his life for his fellow man. You have to lay down your life in order to pick it up again spiritually. This is why sacrifice, korban, comes from a word that means to draw near. You want to draw near a spiritual life, you have to be giving up the life that God has given you. You must be sacrificing your talent. Risking your talents to help others, to serve others in a way that strengthens them. Somebody on the internet was talking about what he calls ICS. Intentional community sharing. The kingdom of God is all about intentional community sharing. But there's a way to do that that leads towards that spiritual life. And there's a way to do that that will weaken the poor. I mean, there's sharing in Sodom and Gomorrah. But it's through the state. It's through forced contributions. There's sharing in... You know, Pharaoh giving you straw. He's sharing the straw he has with you. But the straw he has, he has because he tagged somebody. But in the kingdom of God, sharing is a choice. You make a choice. Now, I can guarantee every time you give, you're not making a spiritual choice. Especially if you give as a matter of habit. But if you give as a matter of habit, every time you do give, you're you're drawing near making that spiritual choice. Because sometimes it's going to be very hard to give. Like a widow has nothing and she still wants to give. Does she really want to give? Is she addicted to a spiritual form, or you know, a physical form of giving? And therefore, she is compelled to give, or does she have to make that spiritual choice somewhere? Problem is the intellect's always getting in the way, and Mullinism is is one of those. It led to all kinds of things. You know, the implication of Molinism included uh, papal infallibility, prophecy, and prayer. Now there was prophecy without it, but there was now this justification of prophecy and justification, like somehow your prayers have a power over God. You can make God do what you want because you pray. They use you know scriptural passages a warning of apostasy. With passages of teachings and and uh, and the security of believers, you know, once saved, always saved. All this comes out of Molinism, because you know they say once saved, always saved. Their salvation is dependent upon an intellectual perception that you have accepted Jesus because you said the magic words. And we know that all kinds of people think that they have accepted Jesus, and Jesus says he says many will think they've accepted me, but they're actually workers of iniquity. So how do you know you're not a worker of iniquity? And the answer is really simple. Are you living by faith, hope, and charity? Or are you living by forced contributions? Or do you intend to live by forced contributions? Are you seeking to become the benefactor of your neighbor, to bless and love your neighbor through free will offerings? Are you planning to do that? Are you working in that direction? Uh, Or have you been seduced into believing that you have the true religion, the pure religion, the righteous, you know, religious particularism, which connotes a belief in the exclusive authenticity of one's own religion and traditions of religion. You know, the the religious... uh, particularists (laughs) particularists <laughs> are likely to believe that salvation is confined to a rather narrow defined group of believers you know like you have to be a jehovah witness and then you'll be one of the 144,000 if but only they and the jehovah witness know who they are and and uh, you know it's it's a delusion it's a strong delusion but it's not confined to that particular religious philosophy it can go to different Lutheran synods and, uh, you know, uh, other Methodists or, or uh, you know, I don't know. I can't even... There's, what, 40,000 denominations, you know. And, of course, we see the same thing, you know, the Muslims, you know. Their God trumps all, you know, including Trump. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it's... uh, But... Who is their God? What is the fruits? And that's what takes us all the way back to Genesis, that we were to be fruitful. And, uh, you know, I'm going to get into uh, this in the next half of the program, but the, uh, uh, well, the essence of political correctness is this, power reigns over truth. That's that's really what it comes down to, uh, this political correctness kind of idea. But spiritual correctness is is it knows that truth is all powerful, because God, Christ is truth, God is truth, and the reason that you can't really get at the truth is vanity. Your know, you vanity that you already have it, that you were able to decipher it, that you read the Bible, and God bless you with. Revelation to understand everything in the Bible. And you love the idea that you get it and somebody else doesn't get it. And now you can become their salvation. And women do this a lot of times where some woman gets hooked up with a guy who is a loser in his present state. Uh You know, he may repent and change. But the woman is not going to be the source of his repentance. She's not going to save him. She thinks she can change him. That's Eve stuff. You can't change him. You can't save him. You can't take and make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. God could. He doesn't usually, but he could. (laughs) But the sow would have to. Because God, you know, a sow is one thing, but God gives men choices. But the woman thinks she can change him, she can make him what he needs to be she can be his salvation that's vanity you can't you, you you don't get married to anybody that god is not telling you to get married to and and that will follow certain patterns but uh you know men aren't usually you know they don't really have that problem they're thinking on another level entirely but <laughs> anyway but anyway we're going to we're going to talk about this uh particularism and um and what this fruitful thing is all about, and we'll take a look at psalms sixty eight and we'll be right back to keys of the kingdom. back to Kings of the kingdom, in the garden we walked with God, and the garden was not necessarily a geographical place, but a status. it was it was really a status of spiritual awakening. Remember God had breathed into Adam, who was formed out of literally living clay that was around at that time and but God the the key thing with Adam and Eve is that God breathed life into him when Jesus rose from the the dead and walked amongst the apostles appearing to them in a room the first thing he did is walked up to them and breathed on them and said receive the holy spirit and this is what you want you want God to breathe on you and fill you with the holy spirit but there's many things that you do that keeps God from breathing life into you you choose to do and they're all connected with vanity they're all connected with pride they're all connected with you know your personal arrogance which uh things like religious uh, particularism feeds the intellect feeds the the ego with superiority self-righteousness rather than actual righteousness. If you if you are not trying to gather together with other people to become the benefactors who do not exercise authority one over the other, you are not seeking the kingdom. If you're seeking your salvation but not the salvation of others, you're not seeking salvation at all. Because salvation is about loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself. If you don't do that, if you don't care enough about your neighbor now, you think that salvation is to meet a certain form, say certain words, you know, do certain things. Well, certainly, doing certain things will give us evidence of whether or not you are saved. But, you know, just like the guy who walked in to house after house and conformed to what those people were looking for. So, Can evil deceive you? You want to walk with God. Spiritually, physically walk with God in the garden, wherever you're at. Whether you're in Poughkeepsie or Toronto or Sydney, Australia or wherever. You want to walk with God. You want to walk with His Spirit. But you cannot conjure up His Spirit with magic potions or words or phrases. You can draw near his spirit, but his spirit listeth where it will so to walk in the spirit requires you to look back really you know I'll give you a clue look back at the beginning to be fruitful and to replenish the earth. That's a clue, but anyway, I said we look at psalm sixty eight we'll take a look at psalm sixty eight because there's, there's some hidden things in, in Psalm 68. It's all over the Bible, but we've got to pick somewhere. And for some reason or other, I was led, led to Psalm 68. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. He didn't say scatter his enemies. He says, let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. Let them do that. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. Well, what drives smoke away? The wind. What's the Holy Spirit? Isn't that like the wind? (laughs) Listing where it will. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. So is God living in you? I can tell you this that if, if the Holy Spirit dwelleth in you, you can walk into a room of evil people and they will flee they will be melted away. Their power will be gone. But you can't conjure this up. You can't make this happen. You, you you don't want to dare say that you can do it. Because the whole thing is you can't do it. God can do it. He can scatter scatter the enemy. But you have to let God in. That's the choice you make. You don't... You don't conjure up God. You let God in. And the way you let God in is lay down your life. Lay down your ego. So how do you do that? What does that look like? What's the mechanics of that? But anyway, but, in verse 3, but let the righteous be glad. So are you righteous? Have you been seeking to be righteous or are you just self-righteous? Because you got the particularism religion you got the philosophy figured out. You know where other people are wrong. You can argue like Dominicans and Millenniums. Um, molinism molinists <laughs> But anyway. Uh, it says they stole him that rideth upon the heavens by his name unto God, sing praises to His name. So what does that mean? Does that actually mean sing songs in church? Harmonize with the ways of God. That's a praising. You praise God by doing His will. And you can't even know what His will is to do, much less have the energy to do it, unless you lay down your life and let Him in. So, the righteous can let them exceedingly rejoice because of the fact that the righteous, you can't, you can't even be righteous without the spiritual guide of God showing you the way for you. I mean, obviously, if you're murdering, if you're coveting your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority, you're not a Christian, obviously. If you're not seeking, you know, turning around and seeking a kingdom that is operating by faith, hope, and charity, but rather seeking the benefits of a government that uses force, you're you're not a Christian. Now, I'm I'm not condemning anybody. I just want you to be aware so that you can realize, whoa, I've been looking here, and that's not where. Christ wants me to look. He wants me to look over here. There's all kinds of people tell you look here, look there, look there. But that's not the answer. The answer is spiritually. You'll know. If you just do the basics, seeking that kingdom, that government that operates by faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty. If you seek that, spiritually you will awaken and you will know certain things. Spiritually, without you making any decision, enemies will be scattered before you. Those who hate God will flee. They they won't come around. They won't persevere. They'll, they'll say, yeah, I want what you're doing, but then they'll give up. And usually it's because they don't want to see the truth about themselves because that's the bummer, man, is that to see the truth about everybody else according to the light of God, you have to see the truth about yourself. Because when you come in the presence of God... Your wax melteth. <laughs> you know you've you've created a wax figure of yourself, of your own self righteousness. It makes you think you're so good that you're a, you're you're the particularist religion that's got it figured out. That you are really seeking God and His righteousness, and you're not completely. You may be a little bit, but you're not completely. Not enough. To let your own wax melt in the presence of God. That your own false image of being righteous melt before God. So you you won't stick around people that have the truth. If you don't want to see the truth about yourself. Just, you won't even call them up. You won't even talk to them. You, won't, you don't even want to meet with them. Because you might see your own truth. Because until you want to see the truth about yourself, you remain an enemy of God. If you hate to know the truth about yourself, you hate God. You hate the truth. You can say you love Jesus, but you may still hate the truth. I mean, the Pharisees said they loved God, but they hated Jesus. So where are you in all this? Well that's your that's a question you have to ask you and the true God do some self-examination But what is what do they go on they they you know they talk about singing these praises but they say a father of the fatherless a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation If God is inhabiting you you will want to be a father to the fatherless and a judge to the widows. You will want to take care of the widows and orphans. I had a guy wealthy 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 guy wanted to give us all kinds of money to enter a religious order with us and uh i didn't i I didn't feel he wanted it. i I'm not talking about his salvation here I'm just talking about where he was ready or not ready and uh in a conversation, finally, he said, because a moment of frustration came, because we weren't letting him in, no matter how much money he offered us. And, uh, and he said, uh, what are the widows and orphans to me? What have the uh, widows and orphans ever done for me? Well, out of his own mouth, he's telling us that he is not really singing the praises of God. Now, he, I mean, he reads the Bible and he, he's got a religious idea and he's willing to, you know, risk everything. But not his ego. Or he would have seen this already. And he, But maybe he's being brought to that place right now. God hopes. I pray for him all the time. As I pray for a lot of people all the time. Uh, that's why I get up and For hours and prepare for these radio shows. Because I care about you. But I can't make you choose what's right. I can't make you walk spiritually towards the kingdom. But I can tell you what's keeping you from the kingdom. Is your vanity. Your religious vanity. Your political correct vanity. Whatever. God sitteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out. Those which are bound with chains. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. You will not be free unless you repent and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Think a different way. Think about laying down your life, not picking up your life. You can't pick up your life more abundantly until you're willing to lay it down. And that includes laying down your own vanity about what you think is true you know the idol that you have built with the branches you have plucked from the tree of knowledge goes on to say in verse seven oh God when thou wentest forth before thy people when thou didst march through the wilderness the earth shook the heavens also dropped the presence of at the presence of God even Sinai itself, was moved at the presence of God. The God of Israel. Now, Israel is the place where God prevails. God w- walked before them and made all these things happen because they began to repent way back in Egypt. They realize I'm in bondage. Uh, my burden is great. And they not only wanted to change that, they were willing to do something about it. They were willing to give up the benefits of Pharaoh and seek the benefits of loving one another, taking care of one another, gleaning in the field at night for their benefits. In order to do that, you have to thank Kingdom. In order to thank Kingdom, you have to thank Network. You have to love not only the people in your congregation, That God has brought to your congregation because it's just a free assembly. It's not a corporation. So they freely assemble. You have to deal with those that freely assemble with you. You also have to love the next congregation as much as you love your own congregation. And if nobody needs help in your congregation, you still have to lay down your life. And hope that it goes somewhere out in the network of congregations to help somebody somewhere. Just getting the message out is an expense. It is is an expense and has been an expense for us for decades now. Trying to tell other people, putting all these things together, putting these study programs together, putting up huge websites that have... all kinds of information, doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of recordings to try to always lead you back to the simple thing of seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which is not trite if you actually did it. If you actually did it, God would be walking before you. The heavens would drop at the presence of God walking before you. But you have to set aside your trite views that you already got it, that you already figured it out, that you already ha- you already know God, and that you already believe in God. You don't even know God. How could you believe in Him? Because knowing God is not an intellectual tree of knowledge thing. He goes on to say in verse nine, "Thou, O God, didst send a plentiful rain, whereby Thou didst confirm Thy." Thine inheritance when it was weary. Thy congregation hath dwelt therein. Thou, O God, hast prepared of thy goodness for the poor. They were constantly being provided for in one of the most inhospitable areas. They were protected in almost, I don't want to say magical, but in mysterious ways. In spiritual ways. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. We publish. How many churches are telling you that you need to repent of these things where you are addicted to the ways of the world? Kings of armies did flee apace, and she that tarried at home divided the spoils. Though ye have lean amongst the pots, yet shall ye be as the wings of a dove, covered with silver, and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattereth the kings in it, it was white as snow in salmon. Wings of a dove, that's reeks of Holy Spirit. This is David, you know, in his Psalms. This is this is what uh, you need is this Holy Spirit, and it will do the rest. So your focus should be on this Holy Spirit and how to establish that Holy Spirit in righteousness. It goes on in verse fifteen to say the hill of God is as the hill of Bashan, a high hill. As in the hill of Bashan. Why leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desireth to dwell in. Yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are twenty thousand. Even thousands of angels, the Lord is among them. As in Sinai, in the holy place. So what is this Bashan? uh what does it have to do with anything? I mean that i'm down in verse fifteen where it talks about Bashan, and that's really what I wanted to get to today and we've got a little bit of time here in this first half to look at that and uh it says that the this hill of God is as the hill of bashan, and it it goes on and talks about this all the way into verse twenty two and that's Whenever you see a name that is not translated in the Hebrew, there's a, there's a reason for that. There's uh, something they're telling you <laughs> that is just in the name. It's like uh, the word Corban. It says, The Corban of the Pharisees is making the word of God to none effect. The same word Corban also appears in the Bible, but it's translated treasury. So, the treasury of the Pharisees makes the word of God to none effect. Well, what was Corban? Corban was the way in which they took care of the widows in in needy of their society through the contributions of the people. Well, what they don't tell you because you don't read the Bible in the context of history is that the Corban of the Pharisees was now a compelled offering. It wasn't charity anymore. They wanted to make sure everybody paid their fair share and nobody was left behind. So they instituted under King Herod a system of social welfare where you had to pay in. If you grew a field of wheat, they were going to take a portion of that wheat. It was going to be exacted from you by the temple treasurers, you know, in the form of tax collectors. If you raise cummins in your window box, the minister would come by and count the branches. Because he knows he's going to get 10% of those branches. And he's going to put it in, that's going to be your tax. If you caught fish, they were going to show up and they were going to count the fish. And see, these fish have to go to the temple, to the ministers, to this network of congregations. And you were registered and you were expected to pay and you were required to pay and you were forced to pay. But that's not the kingdom of God. That is the antithesis of the kingdom of God. You know what Bashan means? It's a name, actually. It's a district in the east of Jordan known... Uh, for its fertility. Which was given to the half tribe of Manasseh. The uh, the word is said to mean fruitful. And uh, it's composed of several letters. Uh, be it, shen Nun. Well, be it. Uh, usually has to do with a dwelling place. It usually has to do with the purpose of a dwelling place, from the house of God to the house, uh, you know, or household. But it's usually some sort of dwelling place. So, is God dwelling in you? That you would probably, in that verse that would talk about God dwelling in you, you would find a be it. The letter be it. The letter shin has to do with the eternal flame, the, of revelation. And again, remember spiritual revelation. This revelation is spiritual. It's not intellectual. It's not from the tree of knowledge, it's from the tree of life. Well the shin is that eternal flame. That that coal of divine essence that will melt away the wax of your enemy, but also melt away your own wax. You don't get to be it in the shin together without something happening. But then there's this third letter, nun. So what is that all about? Well, let's take a look at, there's, you know, find a be it and a shin in a lot of other words as well. Uh, if you add a vov, uh, between the be it and the shin, you get the word confusion. Because you divided the house from the eternal flame, from Revelation. Nothing divides you from Revelation more than intellectual pursuit of the truth. That's why I, I'm constantly pointing out when it says, study to show thyself approved. The word there that they write down as study in the Bible is not the word for study. It's not translated study anywhere else in the Bible. It's, it's the word for being diligent. It's the word for doing. That's why Jesus says you have to be a doer of the word. You're, you're still saved by faith, but you have if you really have real faith, you will be a doer of the word. If you see a job that needs to be done spiritually, you will do it. You may also see that people who see a job that physically needs to be done, they will also do it because they have that spirit of being a doer in them. Now, God sorts out the particularness of that doing. It's not my job, but I'm just saying that these, these are evidence. So... If you divide that beet and Shen with a vob, you get confusion. You get shame. that's the word you get. If you add a mem to bitchin, Shen mem mem is flowing and it usually has to do with you know like you know altars have a mem in it because it's flowing of your sacrifice. Well, what word does that produce? spices, sweet odors. They talk about the sacrifice and the sweet odors going up. This this is the word. But spice, sweet odors, is be it shen mem. Because it's the house and revelation and the sweet odor, odor odor odors. Somebody again I was telling you was talk about intentional communities of sharing on the internet. Well, that's a great idea, but is there a be it in the shin? Is it the house of revelation that is telling you who to share with and when? Or are you just giving stuff away to people? You know, going out and giving $100 bills to the guy in the corner. If that's not necessarily a sweet odor, you're giving, yes. But not according to revelation. Just giving alone is not enough. You must awaken that eternal flame of revelation, and that's a process. If if you added a lamad, uh, repre- lamad represents a hand to that beit shen mem. Say so you, you like a hand in the works of the hand. So you got bet shen lamad mem. The spice and sweet odor with a lamad added into it. Where now you got this doing, you get a word meaning in peace, in, in relationship to an office, you know, an office like in government. But the government of God, because it's the house of God, the house of revelation, and the house of revelation in giving by your hand. In other words, you're seeking the kingdom of God to become the benefactors of the people through faith, hope and charity and the perfect law of liberty. You've got beit Shin, Lamad mem. You will have peace. you will this is where God will go before you and drive your enemies away. But what is the letter on Bashan? It's not those letters. it's be it Shin. And it was the house of Revelation. And that's what Jesus said, that he would build his house through Revelation, not by flesh and blood. Well, the letter is Nun, which means heir to the throne. It's Aramaic fish swimming in the mem. And so when he's talking about Bashan being the high hill, and we'll go back and we'll read that again. But understanding what the Bashan is... Is this revelation? Building the house by revelation. You may get a better understanding of Psalms 68. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Kings of the Kingdom. So, this Bashan is uh, this this place of, um, of peace. But it's this high place, uh, this house of revelation. Which, of course, is what Jesus said. I shall build my church through revelation. Not through the Bible, but through revelation. Nothing wrong with the Bible. Well... depends on which Bible you got. (laughs) There may be something wrong with it. But it isn't the source of your salvation. The source of your salvation is that revelation of God. It's through Christ. Through the anointing of God. Christ means anointing. Jesus is a guy. And that's his name. Jesus, Yeshua. But Christ is an anointing. That comes through revelation. And revelation itself is an anointing. So, when you put the be it shin, these, the house of God, and this eternal flame or revelation, together, with a nun, which is the throne, heir to the throne, inheritors of the kingdom. And Paul goes into great details of talking about who shall not inherit the kingdom, and included amongst that is the covetous, those desiring Benefits at the expense of their neighbor. That's covetous people. You can want a house like your neighbor's, but you can't want your neighbor's house. You get that? (laughs) That's that's coveting. Wanting to have a wife as good as your neighbor's. You say, she is such a good woman. I'd like to have a wife like that someday. That's fine. To desire that. That's a good thing. But to desire to have your neighbor's wife. That's a bad thing. So, the desire to have any benefit, free education, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare, whatever, at the expense of your neighbor is covetousness. And the covetous have no inheritance in the kingdom. So, there's no nun for them. They are not heirs to the throne. And like I said, that same nun in Aramaic is the fish swimming in the mem. So, this is particularly talking about the 144,000, the ministers of God, the 144,000 apostles. You know, a lot of people say there's only 12 apostles. Well, Jesus appointed 12 apostles, but they were to appoint other men. And the church is apostolic. We were supposed to be following the appointment of Christ all the way down to today. The same as, you know, Abraham received the blessings of Shem Melchizedek. And Christ, to become the high priest, received the blessings of John the Baptist. And to become the king, he was praised as king by thousands of Jews. Who opted out of the government of the Pharisees, which had now become a part of Caesar's government, which ended up destroying it. And all those who accepted Christ were now the new Jews. The Jews that followed after Caesar and Caesar's ways were the synagogue of Satan. They were not Jews anymore. You know, them that say they are Jews. That's the way John refers to it. Now, the problem today is that most modern Christians are like those Jews. (laughs) I'm not picking on Jews. I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Which we find by revelation. So, how do we get to the point of revelation? What is the mechanics of receiving revelation? Well, when I say mechanics, you begin to think of what words do I say? What papers do I fill out? What things do I do to conjure up the spiritual mechanics? Well, everything that you do to conjure up spiritual mechanics is spiritual. So, the first thing you have to do is turn off all those physical things let go of the physical things let go of your imagination your doctrines that you have conjured up with the branches clipped from the tree of knowledge and start realizing that this is a spiritual journey in a physical world it's not a physical journey in a spiritual world <laughs> or actually it is from a certain point of view it all depends but it you know he says in that verse 15. The hill of God is as the hill of Bashan, that be it Shen Nun. A high hill as the hill of Bashan, a high hill. It's it's dominant. It's dominant in in your ways. Why leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desireth to dwell in. that's what God wants to dwell in those that receive the revelation of God and dwell in His house. How do you dwell in His house? Well, to be a minister of Christ, He gives you all kinds of criteria for that, which we talk about in other places. Most ministers don't do that today because they're not really ministers of Christ. They don't do what Christ said. And you can tell that's not really a minister of Christ. He may be a nice guy. He may say a lot of nice things about Jesus. But is he telling you to seek the kingdom of God? Is he even telling you what the kingdom of God looks like? It looks like thousands and thousands of people that are living by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. If Christians today were actually doing what Christians did in the early church, they would all be exempt from Obamacare. None of them would have social security numbers. They wouldn't need them. And social security would be a minor program for some people. Because there was no legal requirement that everybody had to get one, and they would be automatically exempt because they would all be taking care of one another. Because they would what 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 did it say earlier there? They would be taking care of the fatherless, and the judges, uh, and, and they would be the judges of the widows. So there would be no need for social security if Christians were actually doing what the early church did. They they would say, well, why we don't need that? We're already doing that. Already taken care of the needy of our society. Do you know what the average age of people on Social Security is now? What do you think? It's like 55, 60? No, it's like 27. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have no idea. And, and who's on it? Lazy people, a lot of times. I'm not everybody is lazy, there's a lot of old people on it. But it's totally bankrupt, and every dollar you take from it is a dollar you take from the future of your children, because it's all operating on borrowed money. I mean, the fate that is coming is worse than that of Sodom, and, and, and Jesus talks about that, and God talks about that. So this, all these religions that you know, all these churches that are not taking care of all the social welfare of the people through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty are not churches established by Christ. I don't care if they're 501c3 or not. They're just not churches established by Christ. Because you're not coming together in the intentional community according to the intentions of Christ. And certainly not by revelation. Why leap ye, ye high hills? You don't, you just be the ministers of Christ. He goes on to say, The chariots of God are twenty thousand, even thousands of angels, and the Lord is among them, as in Sinai in the holy place. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts of men. Yea, for the rebellious also. That the Lord God might dwell amongst them. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. Even the God of our salvation. He that is our God is the God of salvation. So, who is your savior? Who is your social security? Who is your, you know, your health care? Where do, where do you depend for that? You depend on the gods of the world who exercise authority one over the other, who take away from your neighbor, take a bite out of your neighbor so that you can have these benefits. But the kingdom of God is the reverse of that. So are you striving, seeking that kingdom that operates by faith, hope, and charity? This is no trite thing. This is no small thing because if you were to actually seek that, you're going to come face to face with your own selfishness. And God prays and hope that your wax melteth away. Before you do. Before you take your hand from the plow. Before you beg to back off. Oh, it's too much stress. My wax is melting. I have to leave. I have to go away. He that is our God is the God of salvation. And unto the God, the Lord belong the issues from death. But God shall wound the head of his enemies and the hairy scalp of such a one as goeth on still in his trespasses. You're still trespassing one against another by not seeking the kingdom, which operates by faith, open and charity. does not operate by force. Does not force your neighbor to contribute to your salvation, to your security. In verse twenty two he says, The Lord said, I will bring again Bashan. That's what we need, Bashan. The the house of the Lord in Revelation with the the throne of God, you know, the fish swimming in a sea of mem, of giving. Of this flowing waters from you. Why would God send you rain. If you will not take care of the needy of your society. If you will not seek to create a society. That wants to operate in an intentional community. By faith, hope, and charity. And the perfect law of liberty. I will bring my people again from the depths of the sea. That's where you're at right now. You're in the sea. You are that's what seas have always represented the people. You've all become one purse. You've all gone so far away from the kingdom, I mean there's a million ways in which to talk about how far away you've gone, which is why I wrote the book Covenants of the Gods. The why you are in bondage. But if you want back, all you have to do is seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But to do that you have to be willing to let your own wax melt. Your own facade. Your own spiritual facade. Your own vanity melt. And I see so many people, they come for a while and then they go away to sing their songs or to read their books or to... Because their own wax is melting. Their own facade. Their spiritual facade. Their own self-righteous cloak. Their cloak of self-righteousness. Because they have the religion. Because they have turned down this. Because they have done this. Because they... It's not about you. It's about doing the will of the Father. You have to shut you up in order to receive the revelation. You know, I, I prayed with a bunch of Baptists at the Indianapolis Baptist Temple, IBT. And each one was praying constantly. And as soon as one finished, another one started up. And as soon as another one finished... And, and you know, it had this air of... Rehearsed words that they had all done this before. You know, they may vary it a little bit, but it was this prayer mode. They were getting into this emotional prayer mode. And then finally it was my turn and I said something, I don't remember what it was, but because uh, I, I don't memorize prayers anymore. And then they all want to know, as soon as they're done, as soon as they're done, they're all approaching me, how, how did you like this? Because I was one of the first speakers there. And, uh, and I said, well, I heard you guys, I was wondering when you were going to let God say something because there was never a moment of quietness. And that's what we need to do. We need to be still and know. we need to be quiet. We need to stop trying to conjure up God and simply go back to the basics of caring for one another. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life. Are you seeking a government that operates by faith, hope, and charity alone? By giving everyone that freely congregates the right to choose. Doesn't mean that you get to, um, you know, they get to do anything they want. You get to rebuke them if you think what they're doing is wrong. But you gather together to seek that kingdom and hope they choose the right thing. And you give them time to do that. I mean, how many times will you forgive them? He says, well, he's come to several meetings and he hasn't changed the way he's doing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not go to the meeting at all with anybody else. I'm going to leave everybody because they let this one guy in who's doing wrong. How far from the kingdom are you with that philosophy? No, you need to go. And you can rebuke them every time and forgive them every time. I mean, how many? Seven times 70. So, how many meetings is that? <laughs> That's years of meetings. <laughs> years of meetings. And you don't abandon everybody else, you strive with everybody else. And you hope that the Holy Spirit comes into you because you are constantly forgiving and you, God knows you need forgiving. And then God can start to dwell in you. And maybe he'll start to dwell in some of the others in your congregation. And the enemies of God who come to your gatherings will stop coming. And you and those who gather in the name of Christ, in the Holy Spirit of Christ, will grow in number. And I tell you, that would be a force to be reckoned with. A hundred congregations of ten men who actually are seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, not our self-righteousness of judgment and arrogance and everything else. So the Lord will bring again Bashan. Will you let Him do that? Will you let God bring you out of the depths of the sea? He talks about the foot of may be dipped in the blood of thine enemy and the tongue of thy dog in the same. Well, that's rather picturesque. They have seen thy goings, O God, even the goings of my God, my King, in this sanctuary. The singers went before the players on instruments and followed after. And these are all metaphors and symbols. Of what he's talking about. The harmony with God's ways. Among them were the damsels playing the timbrels. Blessed ye God in the congregation. Even the Lord from the fountain of Israel. There is little Benjamin with their ruler. The princes of Judah and their council. The princes of Zebulun. And the princes of Naphtali. All those names have meanings. And you can look them up if you want. But, you know, God's kingdom on earth comes when God dwells within you. And God will dwell within you when you sing the praises of the Lord. In other words, when you harmonize with the the way of the Lord. And the way of the Lord is righteousness, His righteousness, If you're not taking care of the widows and orphans of your network of congregants, freely assembling, walking alone individually, but together, you haven't arrived. You have no inheritance in the kingdom yet. Now, if you really are sincerely seeking that, God will know. You know, as I was saying before with the Molinists, God will know. God will know if... uh, And they're right about that. But they create this complex, you know, Calvinism and predestination and papal infallibility or predestination of, uh, you know, and and, uh, conjure up all this theology. But Jesus comes down to really the basics. Do you love one another? If you seek that kingdom... That operates on love of one another in righteousness of God. Everything else will be provided. If you study these theological issues over and over again and complex things and layers of, of, um, uh, of counterfactual, uh, understanding of God, there's nothing. That's all tree of knowledge stuff. Read the Bible and interpret this, interpret that. Now, the fact is, is, there are a lot of other philosophies that come out of this. And we pick on those philosophies, you know, like, um, you know, predestination and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, rapture philosophies and all these kinds of things that keep you from seeking the kingdom. But the fa- one of the things that keep you from seeking the kingdom more than anything else is the fact that you think your religion is already it. You know, this particularism, whether you're a denomination, a known denomination, or just your particular philosophy of religion. Where is your daily ministration? Where is your daily ministration in anything that could be represented as a kingdom? And we'll talk about a lot of these things when we do our series on uh, Paul's contradictions, and then we'll talk about it in Galatians. Uh, if I can get the time to put all that together. There's a lot of work to be done to seek the kingdom of God. And And God can give us all the resources that we need, but it's important that you give. Whether you give to me or give to somebody else, it's important that you lay down a portion of your life daily to wherever you think the kingdom of God is being... Manifested or preached, you know that's that's another word that is part of that. Be it shen, there's one that has to do with publish. Uh, it actually is the word tidings. It's it's and again, this has to do with the, those that are actually receiving revelation of God and seeking to dwell in the house of God and conform to the criteria of Christ to be the ministers of His church. Those those ones who are out there giving those tidings, those are the ones you should be supporting. If you think it's us, then you should be supporting us. If you think it's somebody else, go support them and see what you get from that. But you need to be supporting that. You need to be giving that. I mean, there were many people that supported Christ's ministry with their substance. But what was Christ's ministry? I mean, he was becoming the entire social welfare for those who believed in faith, hope, and charity. His apostles were working daily in the temple, dividing bread from house to house. And this same process was being done in Galatia, in Corinth, in Ephesus, to the point where the temples that did this through the government were saying that the Christians were robbing the temple at Ephesus. Why? Because people were leaving the temple at Ephesus, which was based on a Corban where you had to pay in, and joining the Christians where you didn't have to pay in by the force of law. Because the people were coming to get... Now, the thing is, is if you gather in a congregation, nobody gives. Or gives very little. It's not going to work. But if they give very little, they're not really Christians. Christ gave everything. Christians should be giving like Christ if Christ is in them. Christ, you know, would give you the coat off His back. And other people, they they won't even give you a coffee a day. What is a coffee a day? You know, if you went down to Starbucks and you bought a coffee. Uh, Somebody said it was like seven bucks for some some of them. I I, I can't even believe that. I personally have never bought anything at Starbucks. Somebody did buy me something at Starbucks once. But uh, I never bought it. But you think about that. Five bucks a day? What is that? You know, that's not very much. Are you giving that much to somebody you believe is preaching the gospel of the kingdom? Who's trying to gather people together in a system of faith, hope, and charity? I tell you, you're going to give a lot more than that because if you if you continue to read Psalms, you know he talks about, "Sing unto the God, unto God, ye kingdoms of the earth. O sing praises unto the Lord, to Him that rideth upon the heavens and the heavens which were of old. Lo, He doth send out His voice, and that a mighty voice." Ascribe ye strength unto God. His excellence is over Israel, and His strength is in the clouds. O God, Thou art terrible out of the holy places. The God of Israel is He that giveth strength and power unto His people. Blessed be God. The elements of the world are going to melt. Repent. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We'll see you then. Until then, peace on your house and God be with you. God bless.